want to remind you of something that Paul wrote elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He said, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And in this new life in Christ, it's not just a partial change or reformation of some sort, but a total change, a total new life. We have new life in Him, a new direction. So, as a result, the Christian life is, is not a way of doing certain things. It is a certain way of doing everything. Just what is the testimony of your life? How you are living today is writing the testimony that you will leave for tomorrow. As we come to this final chapter of the book of Romans, we are treated to a glimpse into the life of the early church, into the nature and character of, the, of a first century church. And as we read about these folks, they are ordinary church members, but they were Paul's brothers and sisters in Christ. And they are ours as well. It's, it's as if we were reading an obituary because all of these people are long gone. It's as if we were reading an obituary in the newspaper and we realize that every person in the obituary is related to us. That's who this is. These are, these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are related to them forever through Christ. In this chapter, Paul reveals his great love and appreciation for these fellow believers. He reveals his mutually, mutual accountability uh, with them before God. And his own dependence on them for his ministry and well-being. It's interesting that we know at this point, Paul had not been to Rome. He had never been to this church. And yet he mentions in this list, 24 people by name. Most, if not all, he had personal contact with, some uh, multiple contacts with. Now, we won't have time to consider uh, individually all these people in this list, not all 24, but what I'd like to do today in, in an effort to cover this passage is, first of all, just read through it together, kind of get the, the flow and the idea of who's listed here. And then, then I'll go back and highlight a few folks from the list, and then I'd like to draw some general observations and principles from what we read here. So let's start with reading verses 1 through 16. I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church at Zincrea, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many 
and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who is the first fruits of Asia to Christ. Greet Mary, who labored much for us. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, and who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachys, my beloved. Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodion, my countrymen. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Greet Ansicritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Um, we don't do that anymore. Um, but <clears throat> suppose we have uh, exchanged it for a holy hug or a holy handshake. When they gave a holy kiss back then, it wasn't on the lips. It was a kiss on the cheek or the forehead. But it was a way of, of greeting someone who was a close member of your family. And so it naturally carried over into the church life, you would kiss them on the cheek or forehead and welcome your, your brother, sister, or cousin, or whatever, your fellow, uh, your family member. So here is the list. And before we, we look a little bit more closely at this, let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, these are your children. These are those whom you have purchased with the blood of your Son and have called into your everlasting kingdom. These are those who you gave the privilege of suffering in your name and standing as a testimony to us. We pray that as we, we read about these brothers and sisters in Christ, that you would open our hearts to the things that you would teach us, and especially, Lord, about how we might leave a testimony for others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, first of all, the testimony of some from the list, just picking a few of these, uh, which I think are some of the more prominent ones because of the space given to them. First of all, we have Phoebe at verse 1. I commend to you Phoebe. Her name means radiant. This this young lady sparkled. That was her name. Sparkle or radiant. Phoebe. A very special woman. Paul says, first of all, I want to commend to you Phoebe because 
She's our sister in Christ. She belongs to our, our church family. Paul is sending Phoebe. She's not part of the church of Rome. She's going there. I want you to know she's a sister in Christ. Here comes Radiant, and she is a sister. Not only that, she is a servant of the church in Sincrea. Now, Sincrea was a, a seaport town near Corinth. The city of Corinth was a few miles actually inland, and right on the coast was the, the, the town, the city of Sincrea. So she was actually from that place. Perhaps it was a church that was a, a daughter church of the church at Corinth that they had gone and planted this. Uh, we're not sure how or when that church was planted, but there was one there. And uh, we know that when uh, Paul and Aquila and Priscilla sailed from Corinth, they actually went to Sincrea and sailed to Syria from that port. So they've had contact there. So she's part of this church in Sincrea. In fact, she is a servant. Now that word servant, we have come across a number of times already, especially in this book of Romans. It is the word diakonos. Here it's in the form diakonon, where we get deacon. And so a question comes up, was, was she a deacon of the church of Sincrea? Uh, it's hard to tell because you see the word diakonon it can mean an office like a deacon but it can also just mean someone who, who serves and it's hard to know for sure which way it is um, personally I think she was probably a deaconess uh, go to 1 Timothy 3.11 You know, in 1 Timothy 3, starting at verse 1, we have the, the uh, qualifications for elders. Uh, there are no qualifications for elderettes. But then we come to the, because only men can be elders. We come down to deacons in verse 8. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, and so forth. Verse 9, holding the mystery of the faith and the pure conscience. Let them first be tested. Let them serve as deacons. So let them, to be a deacon, let them serve as a servant. It's basically what it's saying first. Them being found blameless. But now here's an interesting thing. Interesting thing. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanders, temperate, faithful in all things. Then it gets back to deacons. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife so forth. Now we know it's talking about men again. So that one verse 11 in the middle of this is kind of, it stands out in that it's a bit peculiar because why here talk about the wives of the deacons? Um, it may well have been that the wives of deacons served along with their husbands in a role, role that we might call as a deaconess. In fact, uh, I served in a church one time that that had that uh, 
uh, set up. They had a group of men who were deacons, and their wives assisted them in the ministry, and they were deaconesses. The way they assisted them in the ministry is when uh, the deacons would go visit someone in the hospital, the wives would go with them. When there was a meal needed in the group of families that um, the deacon was overseeing, the wife would help with that. Uh, when there was counseling that needed to be done, and instead of the deacon doing it himself, his wife would uh, help with it, especially if it was a couple. And so they ministered together as a couple. And they were just called, it was just called a deaconess. They held no office. They didn't vote on anything. They didn't conduct church business. They didn't rule over men or anything. It was simply a, a position of humble service that they did for the body of Christ. That may well be what uh, Phoebe did here. But as I said, it's, it's really difficult to tell which way it is. Um, she is at least a servant, perhaps even an office of deaconess. Perhaps uh, what we should think, though, is instead of... You might think, it well, she's a deaconess that's higher than being a servant. Well, you, you have it upside down if that's how you're thinking about it. Because in the Lord's view, it's not the office that makes someone special. It's giving one's life up to service to others. If anyone among you wants to be great, let him be the servant of all. So really the greatest thing we could say about her, she served other people. She was a servant of the church in Sincrea. He says, I commend you to you, Phoebe, verse 2, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. Be, because she's a fellow believer, give her a royal family greeting. She's part of the family of Christ, so receive her that way. And assist her in whatever business she has need of you, or in whatever matter she has need of you. That the word translated business or matter is a Greek word pragma, from which we get pragmatic. Just something of a everyday kind of a business, but it is used technically by Paul elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 6.11 about a legal matter. If any one of you has a, a, a legal matter, don't bring it before ungodly people but settle it in the church that's what 1 Corinthians 6 talks about so it could be a legal matter that, that she is coming to Rome to settle she is probably a wealthy business type person in Sincrea traveling to Rome has business there perhaps a legal matter of some sort and she needs help from the church there as she comes so help her he says for indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. I want you to help her because she's helped me and she's helped countless others. This woman who is a servant and a helper to many, please help her. Most of the translations say that she has been a helper of many. It's not really the word helper 
For some reason, uh, translations were reluctant to say what it really is, except for the ESV, which now does put it right. She is a patron. She is a patron of many and of myself also. That means she financially supported Paul. He was beholding to her because she supported his ministry. She, she was his patron. She undertook for him. She has been a, a patron of many and of myself also. Which is one of the reasons we can surmise she was probably a, a woman of some means. You might think, you know, I hear from time to time that Paul has a low view of women or the ministry of women. Not at all if you really read all that Paul says about women. He has a high view of women. Um, he appreciated God's ministry to women and through women. That he was even beholding to this radiant Phoebe And she had evidently helped many, been a patron of many as well. Now, so Phoebe is going to Rome. And Paul says, I commend to you, Phoebe. The reason for the commendation that she needed this letter of commendation is not only to that they might help her in whatever pragma business she has, but because what is she carrying with her? this letter of Romans. You can, later in the chapter, we read that Tertius is the one who actually was the scribe who wrote it down. Paul was the author of it, being inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he, the Holy Spirit led Paul, who told Tertius what to write, because Paul had an eye problem of some sort. And it's all written down. You can imagine this long scroll that 16 chapters of Romans would have been. They roll this all up. And here it is, the Paul's magnus opus. Although he certainly didn't realize it at the time. But this important letter to the church at Rome. And to whom is he going to entrust this letter? This letter that would shake the world... This letter that would form our theology. This, this letter that would be the basis of the Protestant Reformation. Who did he entrust this letter to? A woman named Phoebe. Paul did not have a low view of the value or ability or worth of women. Next we come to verse 3 through 5. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life. We don't know when that was, it, uh, perhaps in the riots in Ephesus because they were there with Paul at that time. To whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles, perhaps because if 
Paul had died then at Ephesus that he would not have been able to go out and plant other churches. So Aquila and Priscilla interceded on his behalf, saved his life. Verse 5, Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. So now they're, Aquila and Priscilla are in Rome. They're part of the larger church of Rome, but they also have a church that meets in their house. They have a house church. Perhaps something like a small group or perhaps something even broader is meant by that. There appears to be five house churches indicated in this passage. Here, this is the most clear one here, of course. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. But look at verse 10. Uh, greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. So of that household, that gathering there. The same thing in uh, verse 11. Greet Herodian, my countrymen. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. So that group of people of that household who are in the Lord. Verse 14. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Patrobos, and Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. So this is like another group of people, and the brethren with them. Same thing in verse 15. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. So that's yet another group. So it appears there were perhaps as many as five different house churches mentioned just that Paul knew of. Well, because they didn't have a, one large central place to meet uh, that was convenient for them all, and the city of Rome is a pretty good-sized city. And so you could imagine how they, the, the one church at Rome would be scattered about. Now, uh, look at Acts chapter 18. You get a little bit more information about Priscilla and Aquila. Acts chapter 18, we'll start at verse 1. <clears throat> After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. So, because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked and for by occupation, they were tent makers. So here's where Paul meets Aquila and Priscilla at Corinth. They've been chased out of, of Rome. They meet at Corinth. They work together because they're, they're both tent makers. And um, that's the beginning of their relationship. Later on, verse 18. Um, so Paul remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. <clears throat> he had his hair cut off at Sincrea for he had taken a vow and he came to Ephesus and left them there. So he left them in Ephesus. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews and when they asked him to stay a longer time with them he did not consent but took leave of them saying I must by all means keep the coming feast in Jerusalem but I will re Return again to you 
God willing, and he sailed from Ephesus. So he takes him with him from Corinth to Ephesus. He ministers for a while there, but he leaves and leaves them now to minister in Ephesus. Verse 24, Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So they took Apollo. So this the same Apollos that we, we read in uh, 1 Corinthians later on, you know, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, because Apollos now leaves Ephesus, he goes back to Corinth, and he has a ministry there. How does he have such an effective ministry in Corinth? Because this husband and wife, Aquila and Priscilla, taught him. They, they took him aside, and they taught him more accurately the way of God. They they told him the fullness of the gospel. He had only known about John the Baptist and John's proclamation of the Messiah and so forth. They explained more fully to him. Both of them, she taught him as well as he taught him. Again, this is not in a church setting. It's not a formal kind of of a teaching. But in their home, both Aquila and Priscilla taught Apollos he then went on to be the pastor of the church in Corinth. So they had uh, a tremendous ministry. They themselves eventually go back to Rome. So they've traveled from Rome to, to Corinth to Ephesus, and then they end up back at Rome by the time Paul is writing the book of Romans. And so we meet Aquila and Priscilla. <clears throat> Interesting thing about them, <clears throat> whenever we read of them, we read of them together. It's not just Aquila ministering or just Priscilla ministering. It's both of them together. And I kind of like that. Husband and wife ministering together. Uh, next we have Andronicus and Junia, verse 7. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners. By countrymen, he means kinsmen. Uh, some have wondered if by this Paul meant uh, his, his personal family, because it's a word that could mean your own personal family, my kinsmen. Um, but the only thing against that is earlier he talks about, I wish I could be a curse for my kinsmen according to the flesh, the Israelites, meaning all of Israel. So he uses it in a pretty broad sense just a couple of chapters earlier. But uh, um, John MacArthur and others are championing the idea that this is probably family members. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners. At some point, they were, they were prisoners, uh, whether he means fellow prisoners in the sense that they were in jail at the same time or not. Uh, or maybe just that they had been jailed for the faith at some time. But this is something that commends them. They were fellow prisoners. You might think about that as you, uh, 
Do you look to call another pastor that as one of the credentials for an approved pastor is he has to have been imprisoned at least three times? <laughs> Back then, that was a stamp of approval. You see, it, I've been imprisoned for Christ. They, my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles that, uh, that might mean that they were apostles who were noteworthy but it more, it's more likely to take it that, uh, that among the apostles they were noteworthy that is the apostles knew them and knew them well and one of the reasons for that is look who were in Christ before me these were some of the earliest converts of Christianity they were in Christ before me. Now if you think about this, kind of put together these, these dots which, which could connect this way. They were in Christ before Paul. What did Paul do to people who were in Christ before he was in Christ? He persecuted them, pursuing them even to prison. Not caring whether they were his family or not, of course. Anyone who was a Christian, it's even possible that Paul, if these were indeed his family members, say his aunt and uncle, was responsible for their, them being imprisoned for the name of Christ. Imagine how they prayed for little Paul. God, you've got to save him. And God gloriously did, didn't he? They were in Christ even before me. Uh, just one more, verse uh, 13. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. Look at Mark chapter 15, verse 21. Among scholars of the history of the early church, it's almost unanimous conclusion that this Rufus is the same one mentioned back in Mark 15, 21. <clears throat> there are some reasons to, to think that that certainly could have been the case. That was, that was a story from the early church. I mean, that's what they said, and, and it certainly seems to have credibility. Mark 15, 21 Here's Jesus carrying his cross after having been up all night, having been severely beaten. Verse 21, And they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. So this certain man, now, you see, this is not just some anonymous person pulled from the crowd that nobody remembered who it was. Rather, the church knew exactly who this guy was. They knew he was Simon, the Cyrenian, uh, meaning he was from northern Africa. This was, this was an African from the 
northern part of Africa, a Cyrenian. They, they knew at the time of this, the writing of Mark who his children were. He, he's the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now, this is the Gospel of Mark, which is Mark is writing for the Apostle Peter. And where is Peter and Mark? They're in Rome. So this is being written from Rome by the eyewitness of Peter being written by the hand of Mark. So from Rome, they're talking about someone named Alexander and Rufus. Um, Look at Acts chapter 13. Acts 13, verse 1. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. And here's the list of some of those. Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Of course, the Lord separates Barnabas and Saul, or Paul, to the work that he calls him to, the mission work. But these other fellows who are there, Simeon, who is called Niger. Now, uh, a couple interesting things here. He's listed together with Lucius, who is of Cyrene. Lucius, in other words, was also a Cyrenian from northern Africa. Simeon here is is uh, called Niger. That is not a Greek name, not a Hebrew name. Niger is a Latin term. Latin being used in Rome, Niger meaning black. So Simeon, this guy from Africa, we find in Mark 15, who is also now a leader in the church, and his Latin name uh, who's also called the black one. It's, um, and so by the time we come to Romans 16, this, um, it is very likely that this Rufus would have been in Rome. And Paul says, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Now, all the people on this list were chosen in the Lord because everyone who names the name of Christ is so because they were chosen by Christ, they're chosen in the Lord. So perhaps this means chosen in a special way, special task or something. Paul goes on to say, and to greet his mother and mine. Uh, likely she had ministered in some special way to Paul, mothered him in a, in a sense, uh, maybe in their travels or in some way he knew her personally. So here's an example of some of the people from, from the list. These are interesting brothers and sisters in Christ. I just want to quickly talk about the testimony of these. 
First of all, they, they had a testimony of serving others. In Romans 1.8, Paul had written that the testimony of your faith has gone out into all the world. But now he talks about describing that the testimony of their service, their being servant-hearted people has gone out into all the world. One of the most clear characteristics of the early church was servanthood. We, we see that in Phoebe, who's not only a sister, but she is a, a servant of the church. She's a, a helper of many, uh, even a patron, and of myself also. And verse 3, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers, fellow servants in Christ. Verse 6, greet Mary who labored much. Verse 9, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. Uh, verse 12, greet Tryphena and Tryphosa. Names mean dainty and delicate. Greet dainty and delicate, but notice, who have labored in the Lord. Even though they're dainty and delicate, they have labored much in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis, a lady probably from Persia, who labored much in the Lord. And also notice that this laboring is not just like a social service of some sort, just do-gooding, but it is, is connected to Christ. Verse 3, they're fellow workers in Christ. Verse 9, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. Verse 12, Tryphena and Tryphosa who labored in the Lord. The beloved Persis who labored much in the Lord. It was because they were in the Lord that they could labor that way. That they were, that they were servants of Christ. Evangeline Booth, who was the daughter of the founder of the Salvation Army, was scrubbing the sores of a drunken woman in a squalid slum. When a friend said to her, Evangeline, I wouldn't do that for a million dollars. And Evangeline said, Neither would I. She wouldn't do it for a million dollars, but that was not what she was doing it for. She was doing it for Christ. It was in the Lord. You see, that's the difference of serving in the Lord. It's not, what do I get out of this? But how can I serve my Savior and those who are precious to Him? That was a, the testimony of this church. It was the testimony of taking a stand. Verse 4 of Priscilla and Aquila, who risked their own necks for my life. Paul owed his life to them. They risked their necks. Literally, it says they laid bare their necks. It's like, go ahead, cut my head off instead of his. They risked their necks for him. Verse 7. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen, and my fellow prisoners. Why were they fellow prisoners? Because, because they took a stand for Christ. Verse 10, greet Apelles approved in Christ. Verse 
Who were these people? This, this title for Apelles, approved in Christ. The idea of being approved is someone who has gone through a fire and has come out with a stamp of approval. We don't know what Apelles went through. Evidently, it was something people knew. I mean, Paul, all he had to say about him is, this guy has the stamp of God's approval on his life. He has gone through some sore temptation, some great trial of faith, and he has come out approved by God. He had a testimony of taking a stand for Christ and coming out approved. Who were these people? Back then, you see, being a Christian meant something. There were no part-time Christians. Sunday-only Christians. They realized that knowing Christ meant that He consumed your life and your life is no longer your own. He controls your destiny. He consumes your life. He is your Lord. He is your life. He had a testimony of taking a stand. He had a testimony of making a difference. Phoebe who was a helper of many and of myself also. We don't have a list of the many, but she made a difference in a lot of people's lives. Amplius, verse 8. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Amplius is a name of a slave. Back then, people who were slaves were only, only allowed to use certain names. You couldn't use the name of a freedman or of a citizen, or of nobility, you were restricted to the amount of names that you could use. And Amplius was a slave name. Interesting thing, in the earliest catacombs found under Rome, there is a catacomb with, with the most ornately decorated catacomb. It's for a slave. Not noble people of Rome, of whom some are even on this list. Not them. Amplius. That's who they honored. A slave. Amplius. Because his life made a difference. And those who were wealthy and citizens and nobility, we know little about. But Amplius made a difference in the church at Rome, and they honored him at his death. Why would they do these kinds of things? Because of the testimony of Christ. You think of his testimony, the testimony of serving. Mark 10.45 reminds us that, that Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Did you come today to be served? Is that what you're here for in this earth, to be served? Or or are you here to serve and to give your life? 
he had a testimony of serving the greatest of servants. He had a testimony of taking a stand. Christ stood against temptation. He stood against sin with complete success. He stood against Satan. He stood against the false religious leaders. But it's not just what he stood against. He, he stood for truth. He stood for righteousness. He stood for His Father and always did the Father's will. He has the testimony of making a difference of all the people who have ever lived. If you could combine all the good things and the differences that they made in people's lives, all of that together would not equal the difference that he has made. Because the difference he makes is an eternal difference. And now, as we think about the testimony of these brothers and sisters in Rome, as we think about the testimony of Jesus' life, what is the testimony of our life? What is the testimony of your life? How you are living today is writing the testimony you will leave tomorrow. I think too many people are more concerned with things like, do these genes make me look fat? Instead of, does my life make Jesus look good? Am I bringing fame to His name? What's the testimony of your life that you are writing today? What's the testimony that you want to leave for tomorrow? Let's pray. Lord, we give you great thanks for the lives of these we've read about today and the testimony which you worked through them. Most of, most of all, Lord, we are humbled and thankful for the testimony of your life, how you, you came to serve and to give your life as a ransom for us. Lord, might we, might we want to leave a testimony in this place for you. We recognize that it's only by your grace and empowerment that we would be able to do anything so we fully depend upon you and trust God that you would be gracious to complete that good work in us to your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And you are dismissed, but uh, come back in 15 minutes. We'll blink the lights or something to let you know when we'll be starting our uh, business session.